sang a song thank you for sending us your son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done and I pray that each one here might if they don't now might at some point be able to find great joy and comfort in those words I ask now that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your word that you'd speak to each heart here because you know exactly what each of us needs. We can come in and we can put on a show and we can pretend that everything's okay. We can pretend that we got our act together. But you know the deepest parts of our hearts. You know the struggles and the challenges and the difficulties. And you know the joys that we are experiencing. And I just pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And that you'd open your word to us so that we might not just be informed, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, your Son. Amen. <clears throat> I heard one of the most popular evangelical preachers of our day in an interview on TV say something to this effect. I have not been called to preach judgment. I have only been called to preach God's love. Oprah Winfrey, TV celebrity, has been quoted as saying, she has professed that she's a Christian and has been quoted as saying that Jesus Christ is not the only way to God. My question is that these people who have millions of people who follow them, they're celebrities, they're popular, are they heralds of the truth or are they heretics? And how would we know the difference? The only way we'd know the difference is if we went to the Word of God and there was some instruction given to us, which there is in the passage that we're looking at this morning in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-6, through 6, because the same struggles that we have in identifying truth versus error in our day are the same challenges that have been around forever. And in John's day, as he was preaching to the people that he was preaching to and writing to the people he was writing to, the first century struggles are our struggles. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And it appears that the readers of John in his day are no different than we are today. And that is that we tend to uncritically embrace anything that comes to us that seems to be spiritually inspired. Some spiritual inspiration, some uh, hint of a spiritual reality, and okay, we'll take that in, and we'll embrace it. And like everybody today, there, there needs to be some objective way of determining whether what is being taught is true or what is being taught is false. Otherwise, how do we know? We need to know whether it's demonic or divine. And if we don't know whether it's demonic, demonic or divine, then how would we know whether or not if we believe it, we're going to truly be a child of God or not be a child of God or we'll have our sins forgiven or we won't have our sins forgiven or that we will be in the right place in a right relationship with God. We need to know the truth and embrace the truth. So in 
We need to know, if we want to know if we're really in God's family, we need to know what truth will lead us to become members of God's family. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which is where I'm at, and if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you have it on your phone or wherever you have it, that's great. Uh, Just find it. We'll read it in a minute. But in this, we come back to something as we've been marching through the book of 1 John. Back in chapter 2, we talked about this truth test, that we would know that we are a child of God if we confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. John revisits the truth test, linking genuine faith with confessing Jesus as coming in the flesh. So if Jesus, we say, has come in the flesh, then we are marked out as those who have true faith. And John now kind of puts a little own twist on it so that we know that he is giving us the truth that those who confess Jesus has come in the flesh are those who are of the truth in order to combat error but also to confirm that those who profess Christ and those who practice what they profess are truly children of God. That we might know and have assurance that we are in the family of God. And so in this text, it seems to me that the truth test takes two different forms. It's kind of interesting because in the first three verses, he says, you know the truth based upon what the teachers say, the content of what is said. And in the last two, three verses, verses four through six, we know the truth on the basis of the conduct of those who hear the truth. Two forms concerning. I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to unpack these two forms that the gives us an indication of whether we know the truth, and if we know the truth, then we can know whether we are children of God. Beloved, verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, by this you know, all through the book of John, 1 John, by this you know, this is how you know, this is the way you know. By this you know, verse 2, The Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We know truth by the content of what is taught. In the first three verses, the focus is on the teachers. What are they teaching? We can know if it's true based on what is said. There are three important considerations that I want us to look at. First of all, the requirement to test the spirits. Verse 1 says, Beloved. Here we have that often repeated term of endearment. Not only a term of affection, but a term of connection. They are part of the family. My grandpa, who's now deceased, used to call me Buck. I don't know why. I have no idea why he called me Buck, but that was his nickname. Hey, Buck. That was his term of affection. That was his term of connection with me. John says, beloved. You know what? I, we, 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 I preached a couple weeks ago on loving one another again. We are to be beloved. We are to have a sense of spiritual connection and affection that transcends age, culture, race, socioeconomic background, everything. That's the church of Jesus Christ, is that we love one another. Beloved, he says, test the spirits. Two specific commands he gives. Do not believe every spirit. Now, what does it mean by spirit? That's the thing I go, don't test, you know, don't believe every spirit. Well, the spirit used as he uses it here refers to the unseen spiritual source 
of what is being said, but it's used almost synonymously with the person who is articulating the message. So when he says the Spirit, because he says in a little bit that false prophets have gone out into the world, and he says that, so it's the, the source of the message as it comes out of the mouth of the messenger, and so the two are intertwined. So you test the Spirit by listening to what the person is saying. Don't believe everything you hear. So whatever is said is either divine or demonic. It's either from God or it's from Satan. So we need to test and see what is being said. Don't believe everything you hear. I used to tell my kids, I said, they come back from school, I said, did you ask any good questions today? They look at me like, well, what kind of question is that? Well, so do you believe everything that they tell you at school? Now, I'm going to get in trouble with some of you homeschoolers, okay? So I'd say to your students too, ask them a good question. Why do you believe everything that they tell you? Don't just believe everything that everybody tells you. That's just turning off your brain. God never said to turn off our brain, so listen to what is being said and embrace it. But ask good questions. We don't believe everybody in the physical realm, so why should we believe everything that somebody who speaks for God says to us? My wife and I went on vacation a few years ago, and I was like totally frustrated because everywhere I went, I was being told one thing that was absolutely not the case. How much does it cost to go on this boat? I was told how much it costs. Not the case. How much does it cost to get a taxi? Not the case. When are you supposed to call to make your arrangements for dinner? Not the case. I came home not believing a thing anybody was telling me. I was like, I can't believe one word of what is being told to me because everybody that tells me something is not telling the truth. Look what John says. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe the person and the, 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 the spirit behind the vocalization of what's being said. Don't believe every word you hear from somebody who says they are speaking spiritually inspired words. Test the spirits. You see, uncritical acceptance of Spiritual instruction leaves us vulnerable to heresy and blocks some people from entering into God's family and it confuses others who are already in the family. Uncritical acceptance leaves us vulnerable. So we are to test the Spirit. Don't believe everything, he says. I've been to Eastern Europe several times. And I was always amazed when I would go there because the people in Eastern Europe are just really, the ones I encountered anyway, which is a pretty good cross-section, they just readily embrace whatever spirituality is on the plate. Crystals and power in certain jewelry and uh, Buddhism and Baha'i and Hinduism and they just kind of stirred in a pot and have this syncretistic approach to religion which just means you mix up everything and then they just kind of drink from that vein. Christianity, throw in a little Christianity in there too and that's good. But you know what? It's not just across the pond. It's right here too. We do the same thing. We have all of these different influences that, that are, are a smorgasbord, a veritable smorgasbord of spirituality that's available to us. I mean, you think about it. One of the first mosques that was ever built in the United States was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Down the road here in Fairfield, we have Maharishi University. Not too far from here, north on Highway 17 from Madrid, there's some sort of a thing out there in the, in the woods, or just near the woods, and I'm not sure what that is, but it's some sort of a temple. In Storm Lake, Iowa, they have a, 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 a Buddhist temple in a town of 12,000 people in northwest Iowa. It's just like animism, atheism, agnosticism, Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses. The gamut is there. Whatever is Scientology. On the way down to my son's house here in Des Moines, you know, they got the little sci Christian science reading room, you know. 
It's, you, it's all there. It's available to us. Caution, John says. Don't believe everything you hear. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, uh, verses 14 and 15. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Get that? He is a deceiver. He's a liar and the father of lies. And he disguises himself as an angel of light. That's has his modus operandi. That's his method of operation. He's going to make it look close to the truth. Isn't that what he did with Jesus in the wilderness? He's tempting Jesus in the wilderness? Oh, didn't, doesn't the scripture say you shall not live by bread alone? Doesn't, doesn't your God say if you jump off this thing that his angels will rescue you? Blah, 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 blah. And he's, and I, therefore it's not surprising that his servants also, who is his servants? John talks about them. His spirits. The, the, the people who are speaking from a source that is not divine, the false prophets that we're going to hear about, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end shall be according to their deeds. So we're not supposed to believe everything here, but then he says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. That's what he says in verse 1. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Are those proclaiming a particular message, are they divine or are they demonic? Test. What's a test? You know, everybody's gone to school is taking a test, right? It's to verify or validate something. My son just took the bar exam a little year and a half ago. He had to pass the bar exam to validate, to verify that he had a basic knowledge to become a lawyer. Okay? He says, test the spirits. Put them to the test. John commands believers then and now to apply some objective test to those who are speaking to us as spiritually inspired people to decide whether or not they're speaking the truth. Why all the fuss? I mean, what difference does it make? John gives us not only the requirement, but the reason. Notice he says at the end of verse 1, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The reason we need to know the truth and test what people say is because there are many deceivers. There are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. And Jesus told us there would be deceivers. He said that they will come in sheep's clothing, but they are really ravenous wolves in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 15, in Mark chapter 13, verses 22 and 23, he talks about there will be false prophets and false teachers. Paul warned us about false prophets and false teachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 3, we have all these warnings that there will be false teachers, and he says they're there. Now, we need to test them. I like what John Stott says in his commentary. He says, he warns us, he said, we should avoid extreme superstition, which believes everything, but we should also avoid extreme suspicion, which doubts or believes nothing. Doubts everything and believes nothing. So you can't just, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But he gives us a reason that we should test because false prophets. What is the test? Here's the test. It's stated for us in verses 2 and 3. By this we know. By what? This. What's this? This is the content. This, the word this, refers to the content. By this, by the content of what they preach, we know, we have certainty, absolute certainty, of whether or not the, what the source of the message is. By the content, we know. John says we can know the spiritual source of a person's words by the specific content of the message. I'm going to say that again. We can know the source of a person's words by the specific content of the message. What they say determines where what they say comes from. When our children, I have three children, and when our children were younger than they are now, actually the two oldest ones, the, the youngest one is at that same age, they would come to us and other parents, you have little children as they grow up, here's the deal. They would come to me and say, Dad, I have a question. Whenever my kids came to me and said, Dad, and come to me and say, Dad, I have a question. Can I ask you something? I knew the source of the question was selfish. Because they either wanted money or permission to do something. Okay. John says, 
we know their source of their content by the content. We know the source of where it comes from by the content. And this is the objective test of orthodoxy. This is the objective test of whether you know they're speaking the truth or a lie. And here's what he, he gives it to us there in verse 2. He says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. There it is. Every spirit, every person who speaks from a spirit, an unknown source or unspoke, an unseen source from within them, who testifies that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Now, what does that mean? You know, interesting, because the, the demons used to say to Jesus, you're the Son of God. So were they confessing that Jesus has come in the flesh, and were they from God? No. To confess that Jesus is come in the flesh, that Christ has come in the flesh, means that we actually believe there is personal faith or trust that Jesus is fully God, fully man, and that he came and died on the cross and his death paid the debt that we deserve because of our own sinfulness and that if we would trust in his death and that payment for our sins, we would have forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. And then it doesn't just mean that we put our personal faith in it, but that we would proclaim the same, and then we would live as if it was true. That we would accept it, we would affirm it, and we would act on it. That's what it means to confess. So it's, you know, when you say, well, that's pretty simple. You know, there's a lot of people that confess Jesus to come in the flesh. I mean, most of the false religions in the world would say that Jesus came in the flesh, but they wouldn't say that Jesus was the Son of God, or they wouldn't say that he was God in the flesh. That's where it gets tricky. We must affirm and articulate and act on the entire redemptive message and ministry of Jesus. The whole thing about Jesus. Not just, I mean, I have a lot of people say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They think Jesus was a historical figure. Or they think there was a person named Jesus. Or they think Jesus was a, a prophet or a good guy or something like that. But they don't believe in Jesus. In fact, I know a lot of people believe in Jesus. They use his name all the time. But not in a very endearing way. Man is sinful, separated from God, and deserves judgment in hell. But God sent his son, his only son, his perfect son, that he would die on the cross so that if we would put our faith or our trust in him, we would be forgiven and have the promise and victory and eternal life. That's the message. But then it changes our life. Because he's no longer some abstract concept, but he becomes the Lord, the ruler, the master. So that what he says is what I do. And if I don't do what he says, then I need to repent and, and, and be uh, forgiven and restored into right relationship with him so that I continue to do what he wants me to do. Now, this is a little bit of a, uh, a slam. I'm sorry, uh, some of us who are a little bit older. If you think jello is a salad, you are from an older generation, okay? I'm just saying. And especially if you put anything in the jello. I mean, like pears or carrots or, you know, mandarin oranges. or You think jello is a salad. You are from an older age, okay? And if you don't think jello is a salad, you are not from that older generation, okay? That's a stereotype. If you say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you are from God. If you deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you are not from God. You're not from God. You're from the devil. And he says, if you look at verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess, Jesus is from, not from God. See, you notice where he comes at it from the positive standpoint. If you confess, you're from God. If you don't confess, you're not from God. But it's worse than that. It's not that you're not just from God. You are from the devil. This is the spirit of Antichrist, he says. That's not good. Okay? This is bad. The spirit of Antichrist is in you. And this is the spirit of lawlessness. Paul talks about it in 2 Thessalonians. The spirit of lawlessness which is already in the world and is at work, but is being restrained by the power of the spirit of God presently in the world, but waiting for that full revelation of the Antichrist to come at the end times. 
He's here. The spirit of lawlessness is present. See, in John's day, uh, there was these guys called the Serinthians, not the Corinthians, the Serinthians. Okay, that's C-E-R, not C-O-R, the Serinthians. They denied that Jesus was God. He wasn't God. Then there were the Decetics, and they denied that Jesus was fully man. And so he's speaking to them. But today we have our own false teachers, people who deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You have Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Hindus, and Buddhists, and Muslims. And I could go on and on with these people, animists. You know, God is everywhere. God is in everything. God is in that, uh, your chair. You know, God is in the, the light. God is in the, the sun. God is the sun. God is whatever. They, they believe these things and teach these things. But Jesus Christ is not God and man. No, they don't go there. So here's the deal. They deny, they do not. If Jesus is not God in the flesh, then Jesus was a liar. This is Francis Schaeffer. Or he was a lunatic. But he certainly wasn't the savior of the world. And so you can't have it both ways. To deny the eternal deity and the historical humanity of Jesus is the mark of a false prophet. And if you deny the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, you strip the crucifixion and the resurrection and the redemptive plan of God of all of its significance. There's no point. Some guy died on a tree, and that's it. If he wasn't fully God and fully man, who a sinless man, a sinless man died as our substitute and as fully God rose again from the dead, proving victory over sin and death and the devil, then there is no point of Christianity. But, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 20. So, my challenge to us is, hey, as you watch TV and listen on TV, as you go to class, whether it's homeschool or public school, you go to the university, you're in the boardroom, the break room, or the lunchroom, doesn't matter. Test the spirits. Is it from God? Or is it from the devil? Do they deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living? See, the devil parades as an angel of light. He's going to give you some truth, just enough truth, to draw you away, draw me away. But is it the whole truth? Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. So we know the truth based on the content of what is taught. We also know the truth based on the conduct of those who are taught. We know if we are of the truth, if we're following in the truth. And that's verses 4 through 6. The second test of truth is our response. And there's two responses. And some people get confused. You know, they say this is really not, this is hard. But it's not hard because there's two groups of people. Those who accept the truth and those who reject the truth. Those who receive the truth, those who reject the truth. And John talks to those who receive the truth first. Verse 4. You... Who's you? You who confess that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh, you are from God. You are the ones who are from God. Believers are from God. And notice this beautiful truth. You are from God, little children. And then he says, and have overcome them. Overcome whom? False spirits. The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, you have overcome. You are more than a conqueror, little children. You have overcome. And interesting, grammatically, it's a, it's a present tense verb. So it's a present passive, which means the effect began at the point you put your faith and your trust in Christ. You overcame, and you continue to overcome, the effects of which continue into the future, and you continually overcome. See, the point you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are delivered from the power of sin and death and hell. That's Romans chapter 6. You can read it. We are, we are, we're, we're no longer slaves of sin. I can choose. And uh, Kyle pointed this out. If you look up at chapter 3, verse 20, last week, in whatever our hearts condemn us, you know, because our hearts do condemn us because we sin and we get convicted, 
God is greater than our hearts, but when we get convicted because of our sin, it doesn't mean we're not a child of God. That's God is greater than our heart. So here we have kind of a, a, an expansion of that thought. You have overcome. You have overcome because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Intellectually, we accept that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Spiritually, we're freed from sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and ultimately from the presence of sin. We will be freed. That is the benefit of believing in Christ. That's what he says. Romans 6, 3 through 6. And the passage that Alan read, What shall separate a believer from the love of God? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yea, no more. We, in, more. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created being is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are free from the power, the penalty, and ultimately the presence of sin. We are more than conquerors. I'm saying, folks, that is truth I can be appreciative of. So when you are depressed and your heart condemns you and Satan is saying, yeah, you're a dirty scumbag. You shouldn't even be on the earth. You have nothing to offer anybody. You don't need to go out and meet anybody. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And you are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Because the Spirit of God is within us. That's what he says. I'm not saying it. He says in verse 4, Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Spirit in me. Well, I really couldn't meet my neighbor. I really couldn't talk to anybody about Jesus. I'm really afraid to, to try this new job. I really don't know if I could be a witness to my friends. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah? Greater is he who is in you. Oh, you watched. You said you slipped up. You made a mistake. Now you are a pitiful person. No. I come to the cross and I find forgiveness in Christ and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I can live victoriously. I can have victory over my pornography addiction. I can have victory over my lust. I can have victory over my greed. I can have victory over pride because of greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's a message for the child of God. He who is in the world is the spirit of error. That's Satan. Believers have all the power of the spirit within them. I want you to look at the slide of these uh, two dogs. Uh, on, the, on the left you have a pit bull and on the right you have a chihuahua. My dad is 6'2 and, and, and weighed about 220 pounds and I'm like 5 foot nothing, nothing. And uh, we used to box and we used to wrestle, you know. And when I was younger, I, I used to look at my dad and I'd say, Dad, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And he'd look at me and he'd say, I'd take a good big dog over a good little dog any day. We have the power of Christ within us. The one who rose from the dead, resurrection power. To live victoriously as Christians. There is no greater power. The size of a good big dog within us. That has victory and power over everything. Believers, we prove ourselves to be from God. Because we listen to those who speak from God. Look at verse 6. He says, we... Now, notice the pronoun change. Is we are from God. Who's he talking about? John's talking about himself as an apostle, as a representative of the apostle. And we are the ones who speak from God. So when you listen, and then he says in verse 6, if you listen to us, you are from God. When those who are speaking for God are listened to by those who are hearing them, then those who listen are from God. That's what he says. You are from God. We are from God, where John is referring to himself as a representative, and they are the false teachers. The proof that a person knows God, according to verse 6, is that we listen to those who speak for God. 
So, I ask myself, am I obedient to God's word? Do I really love people specifically, or do I just kind of think about loving people in a general way? Do I pray for my enemies? Do I go to God and say, God, help me to forgive people that I just don't want to forgive? Am I generous with my time, with my money, my talents, my abilities? Do I go out of my way to introduce myself to someone new? Am I, you know, we, we passed out these things a little while ago, be the church. You know, it's like, well, it wasn't just an exercise in futility. We didn't just try to kill a few trees and waste some, uh, some time and money. It's like, are, are we going to be the church? Are we going to introduce ourselves? Are we going to get somebody's contact information? Are we going to talk to somebody? Are we going to go outside of our comfort zone and be the church? Are we just going to show up? You know, and then it's easy to say, you know, well, you know, nobody said anything to me. You know, I, I, I get, I get, I mean, sometimes I get a little bit amped up, so forgive me if I get a little too juiced on this, but it's like people sit around and they whine because nobody's talking to them. Well, who are you talking to? God's not just talking to everybody else, He's talking to us. So don't jab your spouse or your neighbor or, you know, point the finger at somebody else. It's like God calls all of us to be the church. And if we love and do what God says, then we prove ourselves to be from God. That's what he says. That's how we know that I'm a child of God, is if I'm doing what God says because I'm listening to what God's messengers tell me. You know, Kim Jong-un has no problem getting people to do what he says. Because if they don't do what he says, he just offs them. God's not like that. He loved us. You know, and we, we celebrate communion because we remember what Christ has done for us, but I sometimes wonder if we're just all in it about us. It's what Christ has done for us so that we can do for Christ. We're saved to serve, not saved to sit and soak. Jesus loved us, and he says, go and do likewise. Serve and love and give. That's what he wants us to do. Then there's those who reject, those who receive the word of ones who come, come with the truth. Those are the, we know that those are the children of God. Those who are from the world reject the truth. Notice what he says in verse 5. They, those are the false spirits, the spirits of the world, they are from the world. Those who reject Jesus as come in the flesh, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. Not a, this is not rocket science. They are from the world. They speak as those from the world, and the people from the world listen to them, and that's, that's great. Everybody says, yeah, that's good. That's what, they're telling me what I want to hear, and that's what they do. They speak arrogance. They speak violence. They speak self-indulgence. They speak decadence. They tell people, God wants you absolutely no question about it. God wants you healthy. God wants you wealthy. God wants you wise, and you are living the best life of your life you're ever going to live right now. I wonder how John, who spent the last days of his life secluded on the island of Patmos, would resonate with that theology. I wonder how the Apostle Paul who gave his life for the cause of Christ and spent most of it in prison or in some nasty place would feel about that. Or James, the brother of Jesus, who was martyred. I wonder how many of the people who walked the walk of faith through the years and centuries would resonate with the fact that God promised them to be healthy and wealthy. That's not the truth. That's not what God wants. That's not what God wants. But it's what the world wants. And you tell people that loud enough and long enough, and man, you can fill stadiums with people because they want to be told that they're going to be good and healthy and wealthy and wise, and it's going to be great for them, and this life is the best life. And so they listen, and they come. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want to look at that passage, preach the word. What word? The word of God. The Word of God that says, some of you may be healthy, wealthy, and wise, but some of you may not. And if you are not, it's not necessarily because you are not walking with God. It may be because that's God's plan for your life. 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, correct, and instruct with patience. Patience and instruction. For the time will come when what? When they will attract to themselves. They won't endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn aside to myths. He who is not from God does not listen or obey those who teach from God. See, the content of our teaching and the conduct of those taught exposes the source of what's going on. It's the type of spirit directing the action. If they teach that Jesus is the Christ, come in the flesh, they are from God. If they don't, they're not from God. If they listen to those who preach the truth of God's word, then they are from God. And if they don't, then they are not from God. Simple as that. But you say, yeah, that's a pretty narrow-minded perspective. Yeah, it's pretty intolerant. Uh, It's pretty arrogant, actually, you may say. Let me ask you this. If everybody's truth is equally valid truth, then whose truth really has any significance at all? If everybody's truth is just as important as anybody else's truth, like I sat down with an atheist once, and and he was a a volunteer policeman, and he was telling me about how people need to obey the law, and I said, why? Why should I obey the law? I mean, you're an atheist, you don't believe God exists, so there's no justice, there's no God doesn't exist, so I should just, if if I wanted to do a crime, then that that was my truth, and uh, what what are you going to do about it? Why, Why would you arrest me? Well, because that's wrong. I said, who says it's wrong? God says it's wrong. That's who says it's wrong, and that's why you got it. You don't believe what God says, and you are confused. If I'm dying of a terminal illness, and the doctor says, the only cure is a transplant, the greatest person specializing in that medicine says the only cure is a transplant. I don't say, well, you are a bigoted, narrow-minded person, and I just really don't think you're a nice guy. The only cure for the sinful, broken heart is to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And that you and I are sinful, wicked people destined to an eternity apart from Him and that we must turn from our sin and trust Him and Him alone. He is the only way to God. That's not cruel. That's compassionate. That's the only thing. You would not say that that's cruel. You would say if He didn't tell you the only way to be saved, you would be the cruel person. This is the truth. And so I think about it. Just because somebody says something doesn't make it so. Several weeks ago, I used that illustration. If you call a sheep's tail a leg, how many legs does the sheep have? Saying it is so does not make it so. The test is if you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you embrace the truth and you believe it, and you proclaim the truth, and then you practice the truth. That's the test. And there's some implications for us as we listen to this. First of all, some of you have had the the guys with little black ties, you know, go in pairs, they walk around, and they come knock on your door, you know. What are you going to say to those people? What are you going to say to those people? What are you going to say to the Jehovah's Witnesses? What are you going to say to your co-workers that say you're a narrow-minded bigot because you believe there's only one way to God? And say, do you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? See, here's the deal. The litmus test, that you, you want to know what the true is? The truth is, if they confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then they've got it down. Every false religion, every major deviation from the, the truth of the Word of God errs on the person and the work of Jesus. You don't have to be an expert on all these false religions. You just need to know about Jesus. That he is fully God, fully man, died on the cross, and paid for our sins the only way to heaven. Anything that deviates from that? Counterfeit. 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 
That's according to the Bible. Now, I'm telling you the Bible. I'm not telling you something else, so you don't have to believe the Bible, but this is what it says. Then there is this conviction. I look at my heart and I say, well, man, am I a person who listens and does what those who speak for God say? Where in my life is there inconsistency? I mean, you know, I'm in a relationship with my wife and my wife is telling me stuff and I don't like to hear what my wife says sometimes because the Spirit of God, this is it, folks. If you're married, sometimes the Spirit of God uses your wife or your spouse and speaks to you through them. And I don't like it sometimes, you know. She's telling me stuff and I'm going, she's saying, Steve, you know, you kind of probably made me need to be a little bit more up on what's going on in the culture so you can relate with some of the younger people. Going, yeah, and I'm an old guy, so I don't really care. I don't want to have to worry about that stuff. No, you need to do this. Uh, she's right. You know? But here's the deal. Am I convicted of my sin? You see, the Spirit of God works in those, the people who are from God listen to those who speak from God. And this book is the one that speaks most from God. And so if people don't speak from this book, then they aren't speaking from God. I find a great comfort and confidence in this passage. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world because I get down. I get struggling. I have challenges. You do too. You get discouraged. You get frustrated. You get at your wit's end and you don't know which end is up and Satan is just pounding you and pounding you and pounding you and God says greater is he. You are a more than a conqueror. Just claim the truth and try to live in the truth and be consistent. No, it's not, I'm not just trying to throw a Band-Aid on your hemorrhaging, okay? I'm not trying to do that. But there is truth in God's Word that, as we found in the first service, is healing. There is truth that is powerful. And then, you know, the last thing, I look at this text and I go, there are many false prophets going out in the world, so are these false prophets my enemy? No, no. They're victims of the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. Uh, the, the, the grand thing about Christianity is that, that we don't want those who teach something else to go to hell. Some of the other religious systems, they're fine if, if, if we go to hell or whatever place it might be, non-Nirvana or whatever it might be, I don't know what. But they are okay with that. We aren't because we serve a risen Savior who died to set them free. And we bring a message and want them to know the same Jesus that we know. And so I ask God, help me to pray that God would open their eyes. Give me a compassion for lost people. Give me a love for lost people like you had, Jesus. Because I don't want them to be my enemy. I want to see them as a victim of the enemy. The difference between those who preach that others are going to hell and they sound like they like it. And those who preach that others are going to hell and it grieves their heart. That's a big difference. I want to be one whose heart is grieved because people are going to hell, and I don't want them to be. Not someone who pontificates and thinks, looks down their nose and says, oh, they're going to hell, and seems satisfied with that. That's not God. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion, and as we come and break the bread in this cup, these things serve as a symbol of what Christ has done for us. Come in the flesh, and when we do so, we proclaim his death and his resurrection, and the salvation that comes through his blood shed and his body broken. Proclaim the truth. What God has done for us is redemptive plan. We come, I hope we come to praise God. Because none of us is worthy of what he's done for us. I hope we praise him for his mercy. I hope we purpose to live rightly. See, I get a little bit jaded because I think when we celebrate communion, it's not just about what Jesus has done for me so that I can enjoy it. It's what Jesus has done for me that I certainly would enjoy it, but that I also would share it and show it with other people. And as we come to celebrate communion, it's also a plea. And I plead with you. If you're here this morning and you don't know if you're trusting in Jesus, you don't know whether you're confessing Jesus as a Christ, I invite you, I implore you to get things right with God, to turn from your sinful, self-directed, rebellious life that wants nothing to do with God or is indifferent to God. And put your faith and your trust in Him. And receive the gift of salvation and then come and celebrate that 
by taking these elements as a remembrance of what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, as we take this bread, as we break this cup, break this bread and take this cup, I pray that you would receive from our hearts that as we come up, as you feel led, everyone who knows Jesus is welcome to partake. I pray that we would do business with you, that we would be purposing to live rightly, that we, Lord Jesus, would proclaim to the world that we are testifying of your reality, that we would praise you. And Lord, I pray that there might be some who would do this and say, I am now trusting in Jesus and I'm declaring that trust. We pray it in Jesus' name. Lord, now indeed I find Thy power alone Can change the leper's thoughts And melt the heart of stone Jesus paid it all All to thank you uh, that even in our weakness, even in our frailty and our faulty sinful patterns, you forgive. I thank you that we have a Savior who loves. I thank you that the truth is known by those who teach that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The truth is known by those who practice what those who speak for God say. Give us grace to leave this place, to live more consistently in the power of your Spirit who works mightily within us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, dismissed.